into Heart Points, a one-to-one actual play RPG podcast. I'm your husband and GM, Zach. I am your wife and player, Diana. And how are you, my darling? I'm good. I'm good. I am really proud of myself because save for one person, I have done all of my Christmas shopping. It is all done. I'm very proud of myself. That's very impressive. I always try, like I set a goal for myself to be done before November and that never works, but I am done well before Christmas, except for this one person who I think I'll be able to get done quickly. very impressive. I haven't started my Christmas shopping yet. That's about on par though. That's that's pretty on par. There's a reason we have Prime, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Two day shipping. There's a reason we have that. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty bad at Christmasing. I'm trying to make you feel be better at it. Anyway. I know. But so this has nothing to do with what we're planning on talking about or what we were just talking about, except tangentially. But I frequent the Facebook on occasion and there is this comedy troupe on Facebook that are Portuguese. And I'm they sorry, ha- wait. Did you just say you frequent the Facebook? I do. I frequent the Facebook. Okay, all right. And there's this Portuguese comedy troupe that I follow, and they have merchandise. And there's a very appropriate shirt. So basically all this is to say is you, if you know someone who is Portuguese, or if you've ever heard anyone who is Portuguese, then getting the shirt, I'm not yelling, I'm Portuguese, is very appropriate. I kind of want to buy this shirt now. You like half plugged it. I know. I didn't mean to. <laughs> you told everyone to buy the shirt, but you didn't say where they should <laughs> well, buy the I shirt. Well, but I don't know if I'm. I don't know if we should do that. Can I do that? I'm. You've already gone halfway. Well, I mean, you might can, as well. All right. Well, the Portuguese kids are funny. If you're Portuguese, otherwise they might just be weird. And they have shirts, and one of them says, "I'm not yelling. I'm Portuguese." And I just think it's appropriate for anybody who's ever heard me talk. Anyway, ever. the Portuguese kids, you now owe us one hundred dollars. <laughs> it's legally binding. <laughs> Um, I know you didn't agree to it, but That's, it is what sorry, it is. that's yeah. just kind of the way it goes. I know. What? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I just got really excited about that shirt. We mentioned it right before we started recording. You nerd. I know. I'm um, sorry. But uh, no, this episode is going to be a special PAX retrospective. Woohoo! Uh, we missed last week's episode because Zach, our editor, and Zach, me, were at PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia. And it was a great time, but uh, we didn't have time to record or for Zach to edit. So um, we were an episode late. So we thought that we would, you know, talk about what we did since we weren't doing the podcast. Yeah. And so I, I asked Diana to maybe do conduct a, a small interview about my time at PAX um, because Diana didn't go despite me, like, begging her to. See, I don't think that's true. You don't think I begged you to? I think, and I still stand by this, and this is what I said, I think that you were going to have more fun without me than you would with me. And he always contends that like... he would have different fun with me than he would without me. But I don't do great in like very large crowds where I'm not like 100% certain about what's going on. And so that's exactly what PAX Unplugged would have been. It just would not have been a good situation for me. I think it was great. Without me, you seem to have had a great time. And also, I like my me time. Yes. Give that's me my true. me time. You're really you're painting our, our marriage in a great light. It's a beautiful <laughs> marriage, and I'm very happy to be married to you. I'm just saying, I think you would have a better time without me in this situation. I don't know about that, but uh, it was very crowded. Right. Um, and I don't do well in those situations. Yeah. I, well, I needed to step out 
after we first walked in and kind of got hit with the massive crowds, Zach and I had to, and, uh, well, I had to step out and we went over to Reading Terminal and got something to eat. But you, you get acclimated to it after a while. It was very crowded, though. It was very chaotic. Listen, put me in a school counseling conference all day, every day. Yes. Give me the masses of people who think the same way as me. But the one time I went to PAX East, I was completely overwhelmed. And it's mainly because I didn't know what I was doing or what was happening. But that's not what we're talking about today. Okay. What we're talking about is your experience at PAX Unplugged. So my first question for you is, Mm -hmm. why did you want to go to PAX Unplugged? So I wanted to go to PAX Unplugged because I really enjoyed going to PAX East. I went to PAX East three years in a row, two years in a row. You, I think you went about three times. Um, I think starting in 2011. Mm-hmm. I, I should actually like pull out my badges and see because I kept the badges. But I really liked PAX East, but it got to be too big and it got to be too much and I got to be too poor to continue going. And my favorite thing about PAX East was always the tabletop RPG panels. It was like by far my favorite thing. So when they announced that there was going to be a new PAX, that it was going to be in Philadelphia, and that it was going to be all tabletop based, I was ecstatic. Like, that was my dream PAX. Right. And it's in your backyard, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's why I wanted to go. I wanted to go so that I could go to panels specifically about the things that interested me, have more time and resources and space dedicated to the things that specifically interest me, and, and you know, just kind of get that con experience. Uh, I hadn't been to a gaming con since the last time I went to PAX East years ago, so I was very, I was very excited to go. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad you were excited. <laughs> Speaking of panels, because you said that you were that those were some of your favorite panels to go to when you went to PAX East, what were some of the panels that you were hoping to see? Maybe you did see them, maybe you didn't, but maybe some panels or some topics that you were interested in. Uh, well, I overloaded, as always, my <laughs> schedules for panels and, and things to do on the uh, PAX Unplugged app. I, I thought I was going to make it to, like, you know, a hundred panels. Right, yeah. And I made it to about one a day. Okay. So for a total of about three, <laughs> I think I actually made it to five panels total. And I was a little bit disappointed in the number of panels. The conference hall was double booked with the with PAX Unplugged and the Philadelphia Marathon. Okay. So PAX only had about half of the of the convention hall. Okay. So I think they kind of had to limit their panels. Okay. There were a lot of really cool panels, though, um, including, like, uh, the panels that I specifically made it out to were, if I can remember all exactly, um, made it to Trusting the Party's Healer, Games, Gamers, and Therapy. That one was very cool. It was, like, looking at how you can use games for mental health issues, which mm-hmm. I think kind of overlaps with a lot of the things that you and I do, um, right. or you you did. Right. Uh, you're mm-hmm. not doing that as much anymore now that you're in high school. Yeah, my new job doesn't really have the space for it, but I did run a game for some of my students who struggled with interactions and stuff. Yeah, and that panel was very cool. It was like looking at how the intersection between you know geekdom and mental health can kind of fit together, and it was run by... Um, psychiatrists and therapists and See, even LARP designers. That, I would have eaten that up. Nom, well, nom, 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 nom. Yeah. I would have eaten that up. Yeah. But the convention floor does not interest me in the least. 
which is like the point of this convention. If I could just go to panels, I think I would be happy. Like I, I love to sit there and just absorb and get ideas. Yeah. But like to go and pretend to be interested, I don't know. Confer- like educational conferences are just so different. Like I, when you go to the floor, the air quotes floor, you are just going to get the free things. Everybody knows you are just going to get the free things. No one is expecting you to buy anything. I just want those pens. And you know I just want those pens. <laughs> it's different at a convention. And that pressure is too much for me. It's too much. But that sounds like a really interesting panel. Yeah, it was really cool. There were two panels on queer issues and games. One was Queer as a Three-Sided Die, which I didn't end up making it to. And the other was something else. I'm trying to look it up now really quick. Queer game design, that was it. More than just representation. And I did make it to that one. And that one was really cool. Mm-hmm. Queer as a Three-Sided Die was more about um, making your gaming communities and your gaming spaces more queer-friendly. Okay. Uh, which I thought was very cool, but I don't do a lot of, like, game store play. Yeah. I don't run a community. Right. So I didn't make that one a priority. Queer game design was more about when you're designing games mm-hmm. and when you're running your home games. Right. Um, how do you make those, like queer friendly how do you incorporate like queer issues Mm -hmm. and that was really good that was really cool uh there's a lot of really good discussion there would you say that that was really interesting to you because of the class that you teach oh yeah for sure just a refresher i teach a class on um social issues in game design and we don't actually play any tabletop games that specifically deal with queer issues although we do play we know the devil Mm mm-hmm uh, which is an amazing visual novel that everyone should play. And we, we played it this year on Halloween night, and it was <laughs> amazing. So, yeah, I mean, I think that was specifically interesting to me. I think it was also specifically interesting to me because we, I don't know, a lot of our settings that we play in our home games, uh, it hasn't really been something that's been explored very much in Seguranza, which I, I, I do wonder... I don't know if that's something that is a fault in the campaign. Right, yeah. Uh, But it's definitely something that we explore in our home games, Mm -hmm. like the game of Dungeon World that we've been playing, uh, which our good friend Steve has been GMing, definitely explores a lot of, like, non-traditional family Mm -hmm. dynamics. I think, how do we have it, how how are the orc families set up? So the orc families are matriarchal, but every, like... The norm is that you are in a same-sex relationship. Yeah. But it's matriarchal in that the women are the more powerful of the, like, genders or sexes. Mm -hmm. And when it's decided within a pairing that you want a child or you want some offspring, you find a compatible male pairing. And you, as four parents, make a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think it was really, really unique. And I wonder how much of that is because of sort of the person who's GMing and the people who are playing. Like, we play with a pretty, I don't know, how open group, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we want we want to tell stories that are, that are cool and interesting and then can explore issues the way that speculative fiction is designed to explore issues. Right. That's the really cool thing about speculative fiction is that it doesn't have to be one thing. It can explore a lot of things. Right, yeah. Um, and most of our... One thing that w- came up in the panel was how boring it is to have all these different fantasy races that all function the same mm-hmm. sort of generic Western social structure. Right, yeah. Um, I'm hesitant. I don't know. Uh, 
hesitant even to say Western because there's even within Western quote unquote Western society, there's so many variations and we really just look at one very specific sort of like Anglo English American, Mm -hmm. like family structure Mm -hmm. culture that we just kind of twist little things on and we say, Oh, that's how the orcs live. That's how the elves live. And in our like dungeon world game, we've really twisted that and we've looked at the way different cultures have very different family structures. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's something that came up in the queer design panel Mm -hmm. is that, you know, different cultures are vastly different. It's not all just like a new wash of paint on the same like structure. It's very different structures and fantasy is capable of exploring that and it should explore that. I thought that was really cool. That sounds like a very honest, open, interesting panel to have been in. Yeah, it was awesome. You would have liked it. I'm sure I would have liked it. Again convention floor is the issue and i'm not saying <laughs> paying all that money to just sit in panels all day i mean actually i would really enjoy that but it well, would be kind of a waste well one of the things was with this pax was there was a lot fewer panels than mm-hmm. i expected um and especially a lot fewer panels that i was actually interested in right those were like two of the big ones that mm-hmm. i thought that really kind of met my fields of interest right there wasn't as much as i was hoping for there mm-hmm. wasn't as much as i was expecting again i think that's because of the double booking of the convention hall. Right. So we're going to talk a little bit about some things that you think they could improve on and things that they did really well. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But for right now, I kind of want to talk about some of the games that you got to play in the, like, testing game room, demo room. Okay. Demo section of the convention. Okay. I don't know what that's called. A demo place. There was a specific room for like games that hadn't come out yet okay. that you could play test, and we actually never made it there. Oh, okay. But we did. There were a lot of people running demos on the exhibitors' floor mm-hmm. of either games that were very recently come out or that were about to come out, and we did get to play some games there. And there was a lot of really cool stuff. We got to play uh, Archon Games, this small company called Archon. They had a game called Eschaton, which was, we immediately fell in love with it. It is a deck builder uh, where, so you're playing as cultists during mm-hmm. the end of days. Okay. And the Dark Lord is rising and everything is going to hell, quite literally. Perfect. And you play as cultists who are trying to, trying to increase in power. And you do that through a deck builder system, but there's also, also a, risk bo- a risk-like board where you have like units and you're trying to move those units around and and attack other players units right uh and we played uh like two rounds of that and then i immediately bought it because i had a blast (laughs) with it um i really enjoyed that right we have not played that yet but when we do we'll give you a i will give you because i haven't found out if i like it yet yeah we you guys know we are we played with or we demoed with a full group of six um and the game is supposed to support up to two to six players so I haven't tried it yet with just two players, yeah. but I want to. I'm looking forward to it. I hope it is still balanced right. with only two. I bet it'll be a very different game, though, with I, just the two of us. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it will be. And I was actually debating. It's apparently rather similar to uh, Wizards of the Coast put out a similar game recently called uh, Tyrants of the Underdark. Okay. Where you play as Drow. And when I was playing Eschaton, I really loved it. Uh, and then I like was Googling reviews to see if it was really as good as it seemed to me at the time. And some people were comparing it to Tyrants of the Underdark, which was also there. So I like 
fell in love with this game design idea of a deck builder with like risk strategy board combat uh, and was really weighing the two and I decided to go with Eschaton because the setting of Dungeons and Dragons doesn't really appeal to me. I don't really care about playing Drow. Right. And Tyrants of the Underdark also only goes up to four players. Okay. And a lot of times when we get together, we have five people right. or six people. Right. So to me, even though with six players, the game kind of slows down a lot, and that means that you have a lot of time just like waiting. Uh, there was so much cool stuff always happening during Eschaton that I never felt like I never got particularly distracted or right, anything. Right. Eschaton ended up winning out for me just because I, I liked the setting more. I liked the the art is less polished, but I still thought cool and mm-hmm. good and it ended up winning out for me. I think that's fair. Yeah. When we do get together, we do tend to get together with larger groups, and sometimes it's hard to find games that they can all play, and then it's especially hard to find games that just the two of us can play. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of games for that. And I know that was a focus for you when you were going in to PAX. You were you were specifically looking for games that could support two players or, you know, more. Um, did, did you think that that was hard to do, kind of limiting yourself that way? For me, the hardest part about looking for two-player games is looking for two-player games that specifically also have a theme that I like. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of abstract two-player games, like games like Chess or Checkers or stuff like that, Push Fight, that are really good and really well-designed, but I really like themes with my games. I'm a big nerd. (laughs) I like like to have some level of story to all of my games. Right. So finding a two-player game that also has an, a theme that's interesting to me is a little bit more difficult. Right. If I would just open myself up to more abstract games, mm-hmm. it would probably be easier. I'm also kicking myself in the butt because uh, there was a game that being demoed there that uh, the Shut Up and Sit Down crew okay. absolutely loved mm-hmm. called Fog of Love. Ooh. It was a two-player Literally, all I know about it is that it's two players, and it is about two people navigating a relationship. Okay. Which I thought was a very cute idea, but also thought was maybe a little too serious. Like, it okay. seemed like a serious game, the way right. they were advertising it. Um, what I've heard about it since then made it seem much less serious and a little more, like, fun and goofy and silly. Okay. Which, if I'd known, I probably would have paid more attention to it. But I am kind of kicking myself in the butt for not at least trying that game yeah were there any games that you tried that you kind of weren't feeling and then after playing it you were like yeah oh my gosh yes this was the best i don't know like none that i was not excited for and then got very excited for oh actually you know what one that we did play that is an older game or i don't know when it came out but there's this game called monarch Mm -hmm. which you play as princesses or like heirs to a estate in like a magic regency london and your goal is to build the most fabulous court Ah. to outdo your other sisters and and gain the gain control of the gain control of the estate okay and this was on sunday and we all kind of me zach and steve grabbed the last games that we wanted to try out and zach grabbed a monarch and he was like oh this sound i've heard really good things about this game I was like, eh, I don't know. 
a game where you're playing princesses fighting for control of the state. I don't know. I don't know if that really appeals to me. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was really good. It's a very simple game. It's a very quiet game, but it's also, well, no, I, it's not fair to call it quiet. It's definitely a very pretty game, and it's a very simple game, but it's also very fun when you're screwing over other people and, okay. like, fighting for control and fighting for cards. There's, like, a card buy mechanic where you're trying to, like, get these things. It was it was really good. I think I came in second. I can't remember who won. Maybe I won. I don't remember. Um, but I had a lot of fun with it, like, just trying to, like, buy cards that would, like, stack with one another and yeah. create, like, bonuses with each other. Yeah. I firmly believe that the point of games is to have fun. Yeah, I do. Well, okay. Listen, well, you, actually, I you really, you really enjoy story-driven games, and I'm gonna ask you about one of the games that you played that I don't know you can qualify as having a ton of fun oh, with. Yeah, I did though. <laughs> I was going to well, like I, I know where you're coming from. Like I really enjoy games that are sad and emotional and yeah, effective, right? Um, and that make you think. But I have fun with those games okay. still. Yes, like, but they're not universally fun. I guess. Or as close to universally fun as possible. Yeah. They're very sad and some people get too sad. Yes. They're not fun for those people. Yes. But so tell us about the sad game that you played. So, okay. Well, okay. So I was going to say it wasn't sad, but it was very sad. We had the chance to play Fall of Magic. Okay. Which is this very cool uh, indie RPG or indie story game, I should say, where you travel across a continent to try to restore magic to the world. Okay. So the game is designed by one person, and Mm -hmm. I apologize, I cannot remember his name. I need to start, like, bringing show notes. But uh, it's designed by one person, and he builds the game himself. And when I say builds, I mean you are moving your characters along this cloth scroll. Okay. And he sews and screen prints the scrolls himself. Oh, uh, which means he can't do that anymore because right. that is a really difficult business model. Right. I was actually able to see one um, Modern Myths, the uh, the store, uh, a store selling like RPG stuff. They had two copies of the game, and they were a hundred dollars each. Whew. And I passed up on them. And then later that evening, we went down to the indie games on demand room to try to get into an RPG session. And they were going to play a game of Fall of Magic at 10 p.m. So Zach, Steve, and I waited in line for two hours to get into this game. Wow. Uh, because we were like, oh, this might be our only chance to play it. Right. At the time, I didn't realize there was a PDF version available. I thought there was only a physical copy version available. But we thought this might be our only chance to play it. So we waited in line for two hours and got in at 10 p.m., and played for two hours, and it it was run to us by this uh, amazingly nice woman named Corinne, uh, who owned the physical copy, and she ran us through it. And the premise is that magic in the world is dying, and the Magus has to go to the source of all magic to restore it, and all the players are people who are traveling with the Magus. Okay. And that's the entirety of the setup. Everything from there... You learn about the setting based on where your characters go and the prompts that they're given. And they're given like short, like four word prompts that you then set a scene around. And that's pretty much the extent of the mechanics. Okay. Sometimes there's like a die roll to determine some minor things, but that's Mm -hmm. pretty much it. 
Very simple. Yeah. It's very story-driven. It's very narrative. Right. And Sounds like your kind of game. It very much was. And at the end of two hours, we all delivered our final scene. And it was five strangers and Corinne, our, who kind of took on the role of our GM slash... Uh, we asked her to play the Magus for us. Like, typically, you're supposed to pass off the role of the Magus to okay. each individual player, but we asked her to play the Magus for us, partially so that she wouldn't have to just sit there for two hours and watch a bunch of other people play the game she owned. Right. But uh, five players plus Corinne, our Magus, just, like, crying <laughs> as we're narrating our characters' final scenes, just, like, softly, like, sniffling and sobbing as we reach this really sad, tragic ending. Um, it was just one of the most powerful gaming experiences I think I've ever had. It was really powerful and really good and really strong. And I know Zach, our editor, immediately ordered a physical copy of the game as we were like all like heading home. Right. He sent us a text message being like, so I just ordered it. <laughs> um, so do you think that that experience or other really powerful experiences are kind of amplified by the environment that you're in like do you think going to PAX Unplugged made that experience so powerful or do you think it is just the game itself I don't know I think I think if anything it might have lessened the experience a little bit because of the nature of like where we were playing mm-hmm. and and how we had to play mm-hmm. like we were in a big room where the table next to us was literally like falling out of their seats laughing because okay. they were playing like Fiasco or like Dungeon World or something. Right. They were cracking up mm-hmm. and we're literally a table over like having this very real, very somber gaming experience. On the other hand, it was able to put us in a situation where we could play with people we wouldn't normally get to play with, right. which is what I think was the real strong point. It was me, Zach, and Steve and then two two people who we didn't know mm-hmm. who were very strong role players and then Corinne who was a very strong role player. So the fact that we were able to to all get together and play this really powerful game with with really good role players, um people who were really able to get into the story and really kind of accept the premise made it very powerful. Yeah. But we also only had two hours, so we didn't get to play the full game. We had to skip a bunch of spots. Okay. So we pretty much only played, like, the beginning, a little bit of the middle, and, like, the very, very end. Right. Which, I don't know. I maybe wonder if we lost a little bit of the magic of the game because mm-hmm. we didn't get to play the full thing. Yeah. But it was still really powerful and really strong. Which is nuts. You only played part of the game and you were still having that strong reaction. I wonder yeah. what would happen if you played the whole game. Well, we're probably going to find out because Zach bought the full version. I know. So we're probably going to play. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I actually wonder if it's something that we could play together. I don't know if it would be any fun with only two players. Right. But it might be. Because it would. Be, we would play the Magus together and then we would play the two individual characters. Right. I don't know. It might be a fun thing to kind of uh, to do for for the podcast oh. or for um, if we could ever figure out how to stream. That might be fun, too. Yeah, that might be fun. Yeah. So we've talked about a couple games. Um, I've asked you about a couple different experiences. Are, are there any games or any experiences that you really feel like you want to talk about or that you really want to share? There were two other things that I thought were very cool. One is going back to Archon Games, the okay. guys who made Eschaton. Right. They have another game that I highly recommend called Shindig Machine. Okay. It's just a deck of cards with art on it. 
and it ends up almost being like a combination between Dixit and Cards Against Humanity. Okay. It's just all these cards with very gorgeous, surreal, and absurd black and white art on them, and a pamphlet or like an instruction booklet that describes a whole bunch of like mini games that you can play with them. Okay. We played that game for hours. It is bizarre and strange, and it has so many cool, weird little things in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of our favorite games was, uh, I think it's called um, Kill and Save, or Kill and Defend, uh, where uh, one person plays a card, and it has, like, I don't know, a centaur that looks like Jason Momoa on it. Right. And you have to describe how you would kill that person with the thing on the card. And then that person has to play one of the cards in their hand and describes how they would survive using the thing on that card. Okay. So we had very uh, ridiculous things like uh, me playing a card with a flaming mattress Mm -hmm. on uh, somebody and saying, well, I'm going to set your mattress on fire with you in it. And then playing a uh, Formula One race car and saying, well, it's a good thing it's a race car bed so I could get away. (laughs) And just like really ridiculous, fun improv things like that. There was another game where uh, you get one person gets five cards and everybody else gets two cards. And the person has to lay out their five cards and pitch a movie. Okay. And then everybody else gets one turn to take out one of the cards and put in one of their other cards. Oh, okay. And then the first person has to repitch the movie using the uh, the what are, the producers' changes. Right. Yeah. And that was a friggin' blast. That was hilarious. That sounds like it would be fun. It's really good. It's called Shindig Machine from Archon Games. Uh, we also played a game called The Fifth World which I was very excited for, and it did not wow me when we demoed it, but it's something that is stuck in my mind and that I really kind of want to revisit. Okay. Uh, the rules are for free online, and you can you can play with a regular deck of playing cards. Okay. It seems very accessible for me to go back and try out. Right. They were also selling a special deck of playing cards for the game to make it a little easier to play okay. for only $10. Huh. I don't know. I keep debating whether or not I should grab it. Right. It was very cool. It's set in like a post-post-apocalypse setting. Post-post? Yeah. So I it, didn't know that was a thing. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's not uh, a huge thing, but you definitely, I think it's not unheard of in like speculative fiction fields. What is post-post? Post-post-cyberpunk is, not post-post-cyberpunk, post-post-apocalypse is... A setting in which the apocalypse has kind of come and gone, and humanity is rebuilding, and cultures are rebuilding. The Shannara Chronicles. Sort of. I've been watching that. Sorry, guys. Shannara Chronicles is post-post-apocalypse, but it's also, like, very fantasy. Most post-post-apocalypse is more, like... A lot of what I see about post-post-apocalypse is very, um... I don't know, in a lot of ways, it's very eco-feminist. Okay. Usually... It's very uh, focused on humanity's relationship to the earth and how we can rebuild. Um, it's very like post societal, okay. um, post civilization. Okay. Which is a really cool idea and a really cool concept, I right. think. And a lot of the things that the game did were very cool. It runs very similarly to Polaris, in mm-hmm. which there are key phrases that, that you use as your mechanics. Instead of like a dice roll or something, okay. you have like key phrases in the way that you... So the discussion is structured okay. rather than like the mechanics. Right. And I don't know, we demoed it and I just didn't really... It didn't really click with me all that well. Okay. It seemed very ambitious. 
which I, I know is very vague and I'm trying to remember like exactly what I learned about it um, to try to like explain what I took away from it. Right. It was cool. I okay. think it might have been too ambitious. Ah. Um, it's like they really want there to be like a lot of long form play and like campaigns built out of this game where you're just where you're drawing cards and then describing scenes and then kind of like very slowly and thoughtfully building up your character. Okay. And I wasn't sure if it worked very well for that. Mm. Like we had just come off of Fall of Magic, which was very self-contained, very thoughtful and introspective and allowed you to kind of just narrate a scene, have that scene in space and then move on. Right. Uh, And it was very like personal and powerful. The Fifth World felt like it was trying to do that, but in a long-term setting, like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Okay. And I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it, something didn't click with me. Right. Um, but something did enough for you to still be thinking about it. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I'm still thinking about it, and I still want to uh, try and get a hold of the rules and try it out myself. Um, and I highly recommend, you know, looking into it. It is, it's free online. Right. Uh, it's thefifthworld.com. And, um, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend checking it out if any of that sounded interesting to you. Right. So now comes what might be, I think, the most interesting part for me, because um, I listened to you build up to PAX forever. <laughs> the minute PAX Unplugged was mentioned, you were like, yeah, I'm going. It's going to be great. I'm so excited. And I listened to you say that for weeks and weeks and weeks. So this might be my favorite part now. If someone from PAX Unplugged was listening, would you, what would you want them to change? What do you think didn't go as great as it could have gone? Um, well, there actually there was a survey for PAX. Ah. Like, they did send out a survey, so I do need to like respond to that and make my voice heard. Right, absolutely. Um, a lot of the things that I thought were problems were things that they immediately started addressing like in the middle of the con. Okay. Or things that they couldn't address because of what was like what was going on. Right. My big issues were the first day it was a mess, like organized organization wise, like the layout of the con, the way lines were supposed to go, uh, the way people were supposed to like enter into rooms or do anything was a mess. Okay. And um, it was impossible to tell like where to go for anything. Okay. And to Pax's credit, that is something that they had acknowledged by the end of that night. And the next day, they already were trying a different format. Okay. And, like, formation of, like, the rule, the uh, lines and cues and everything. Okay. So they moved things around after that first night. Yeah. To try and make things a little bit easier and clearer. Uh, yeah. Well, specifically, they moved cues. Like, they moved, okay. like, how you line up and where you lined up to do stuff. And I think it did help a little bit. I think it was still kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the Boston Convention Center is so open and big and sensible. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The Boston Convention Center like made sense to me very right. quickly. Right. The Philadelphia Convention Center did not. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of trouble navigating it at first, and it just felt very closed. Okay. It felt like the hallways felt very narrow Mm -hmm. um which i never got that feeling at the boston convention center right so and that's not any fault of pax's please don't move pax unplugged please stay in philly i need (laughs) you to stay in philly um but that was something that i did notice uh that kind of like threw me off a little bit and it's also something that might get better if next year they're not at the same time as another convention right if they they have the whole center 
Yeah. As opposed to being crammed into half of it. Yeah. If they can get more rooms next year, I think it'll fix a lot of the problems that I had with it, which was that it felt a little cramped, that it felt a little disorganized, and that there weren't enough panels. Right. I've said this already, but there I there weren't enough panels that kind of appealed to me mm-hmm. because panels are one of my favorite things. Right. On the flip side, though, I was very easily able to fill up my time just by playing in the uh, games library. Okay. The other thing that was really frustrating for me was the way that RPG game signups were done. Right. You had to be there, like, before 10, before the con opened, and get in a huge line to sign up for any RPGs. Mm-hmm. Whether it was Dungeons and Dragons or any other of the like big, I guess AAA games, right? Um, Chaosium or whatever. What was very cool was an organization which was a volunteer organization called Indie Games on Demand, who organized our Fall of Magic game. Oh, okay. And that was a volunteer organization that would run games every two hours. In my opinion, I would really like for them to get more space and to get more volunteers. Right. Because it was so difficult to get into a game right. with them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're... The way it worked was uh, at pretty much every odd hour, they would announce the games that they were going to run every even hour. Okay. And you had to be down there on the odd hour to see what games they were going to run Mm -hmm. and then wait in line in order to sign up and then get a chance to play right and it didn't seem it didn't seem ideal to me the way it was done like i would have rather had a list of the games and be able to sign up for them like earlier right but then you would have gotten that huge line at the beginning of the day like the other Mm -hmm. rpgs did and i don't know i i I am more inclined to think that they did it the right way now, but at the time I was very frustrated. I was like, there has to be a better way than for me to have to come down to this place every odd hour to see what games are going to run and see if I'm interested in any of them. Um, It was very frustrating to me that I couldn't just know what games they were going to run that day and try to plan my schedule around it. Right. You would think that they would incorporate some of that into the app, that you could be able to sign up. Yeah. Well, um... Indie Game On Demand did start tweeting out the games. Oh. Um, they did start tweeting the games, and I don't know if they had been doing it the whole time and I just didn't know, um, or if I just didn't find out until later in the con. Okay. Um, but once I su- could start getting tweets from them to see what games, that helped a little bit. Right, because you don't have to be down there. Yeah, but by the time I got the tweets, the line was already and I wouldn't have got a chance to get into the game anyway. Right. So you kind of have to get down there before they even announce the games, like an hour and a half, two hours early, mm-hmm. in order to find out what game you might be able to play in two hours. So I have the utmost respect for them. Like, they were awesome. They were very cool. They definitely need more space, and I hope they get more volunteers. Um, but I I don't know. I don't have a better solution yeah. for how to do sign-ups for that. Right. I just wish it would have been a little easier for me to get into some games because yeah. I really wanted to play more RPGs and I, all I got to play through them was uh, Fall of Magic. Yeah. Now I would have liked more. I legitimately don't know how they could have done mm-hmm. it. All right, so that was some of the things that maybe could have gone better or that you hope maybe they find a better solution for. What are some of the things that you think they did really, really well? What are some of the like 
the highlights, the takeaways, the things that you are so excited about to talk about? I don't know. I talked about all the things I was really excited about. Yeah. So, all right. If I were you, mm-hmm. I would think that the coolest thing about this conference would be the games library, getting it. I think that's just the coolest thing, being able to test out a game before you buy it. Mm-hmm. There have been so many games that I, either we've bought or other people have bought that have been like, yeah, I thought this would be different. Yeah. I like I heard really good things about it, and I don't think I like it as much. And to be able to test it out before you buy it is pretty sweet. I think that's really neat. I think that's a really cool thing that the conference did, and I wasn't even there. Yeah, and the games library is something that all PAXs have, right. and it's something that I've always spent a lot of time at, but we especially spent a lot of time at it this this con, uh, and we did get to play some really good games, and a lot of games that I have been, like, mulling over whether or not to buy and haven't, like, pulled the trigger, and it right. did help me to, like, make a reasoned decision on mm-hmm. those things. Last time we went to PAX, I think, or not PAX, I'm sorry, last time we went to Barnes & Noble... Uh, you might remember I was really debating whether or not to get the game we ended up getting, which is Five Minute Dungeon, or a game called The Grizzled. Yeah, do you remember me? I do. And I've never played The Grizzled, but we found it at the games library, and Zach and I played it, and it is a wonderful game. I really like it. The art's beautiful. It's a lot of fun? <laughs> Question mark? We could not beat it. It's uh... a co-op game. And you're playing as World War One uh, soldiers in the trenches, ah. and it does a very good job of being a very depressing World War One game. We just couldn't, we couldn't beat it. We right. died every single time. Yeah. Um, and I really liked it, but I don't know if I'm gonna get it since I don't know if it's beatable at right. all. Like, I don't know. Like, I would need to play it more. I would need to win at least one game in order to play like in order to buy it right um we also played takedo which is a very sweet introspective game where you're taking a road trip through japan pretty mm-hmm. much through medieval japan Aww. that was a lot of fun that was very pretty what else did we play i finally played dominion oh, which okay. is the it's a deck builder right. it's uh you've it's really pl- popular it's very popular have you played the penny arcade um deck builder game actually yes <laughs> i think i did at pax yes when i went to pax no one can see that face you just made, <laughs> um, but it was one of disgust. <laughs> no, it was just I was I was thinking. It was okay. my thinking face. Apparently, my thinking face is the same as my disgust face. Um, but yeah, finally played Dominion, and that was a lot of fun. And yeah, just like I don't know, getting to try out all these games is is really good. That's awesome. Yeah. So if they have packs unplugged again. I feel like it'd probably be fair to say you'd go again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll probably go. I um, I don't know. I have mixed feelings for Penny Arcade, but I really appreciate PAX. The organization, the general cleanliness, the... And not just, like, on, a, like, a hygienic level, but on a, like, a... It's very streamlined. It's right. very... It's very clean. It's very intuitive. Um, I really like PAX. Yeah. Um, and regardless of my feelings for Penny Arcade, it's very difficult for me to, like, write off PAX. Yeah. Because I, I do. I really enjoy it. And I think it's really important for designers and for consumers and for everyone. And, yeah, I, I would... I would really definitely want to go again. Yeah. Next year. Yeah. Well, hopefully it goes up again. Hopefully they do it again. I sure hope so. That would be pretty cool. 
Now, um, you did do one thing while you were waiting in all those lines for those games. Yeah, so um, on Saturday, I was sitting in a massive line for a GM tips panel, uh, which actually went surprisingly well. And I decided to do the Sundered Land on Twitter. Okay. Now that we have 280 characters, I have enough room to play the Sundered Land on. Yeah. If you're not familiar, the Sundered Land is a social media RPG uh, designed by uh, Vincent Baker. It's lightly powered by the apocalypse. And I did just say it was social media, but it's actually a collection of... I think five mini games, only one of which is social media based. The okay. others are more traditional. I think the one that's social media based that we played is called um, A Pilgrim in a Doomed Land. Okay. I think. And so I tried it. I tried to play it. Uh, and I think it went pretty well. Yeah. So uh, the way the game works is that uh, you post on social media uh, that who you are and you're a pilgrim on a quest. And you have a few options for character creation and where you are. And the way the game works is that you just pose questions uh, online and anyone can answer. And then you have to react to the answers and, and keep asking questions and keep moving the f- story forward. And everyone else has the goal of trying to kill you. And you have the goal of trying to escape this this dangerous place. We played uh, over the course of about three days. We played like a little bit after PAX ended. Okay. And I think I survived. Um, it might be cheap. I probably could have kept the game going a little bit longer. Right. That's one of the kind of like one of the weird things about the Sundered Land as a short as a shorter like one page very bare bones game is that it's kind of up to you how where the game ends. Okay. Um, but I think I gave players enough chances to get me trapped in a situation and kill me uh-huh. that I, I think I, I think I got out okay. Okay. Well, why don't we recap the whole thing for our listeners and they can decide. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, I'm a warrior seeking peace and an end to bloodshed. I'm on a, on a pilgrimage to the Temple of No Gods in the distant city of Gulls. My pilgrimage has brought me to the Jagged Lands, inhabited by followers of a grim torturer devil. My goal is to pass safely through. You online play the world. Your goal is to see me to my doom instead of safely on my way. You're allowed only to answer my direct questions, though, so you may not be able to do it. I am Flores. I have instincts honed by a life of violence and the summoning name of a ghost burned into my memory. I've been walking through the Jagged Lands for five days. I'm near an old temple, its roof caved in. Something warns me of approaching danger. What warns me? Anyone should answer. Rajiv said, The wind whispers. The wind whispers warnings, and I stand to listen closely, scanning the wastes. What word does the wind bring? Steve said, Storm. The wind utters a single word. Storm. Storms in the jagged lands are rare, but when they come they are a maelstrom, strange, fierce, and furious. Can I determine the nature of this storm? Rob said, You cannot. The sky on the horizon behind me is streaks of ink black and unnatural pale. The storm may bear rain, sand, bone hail. I frown in frustration. If I hurry east towards the city, traveling less carefully, could I outrun the storm? Steve said, yes, but the storm may be preferable to careless travel. It's risky, but I cannot bear to bunker down in this dead land any longer. I tighten my cloak and move quickly east to avoid this strange storm. I ignore my instincts and set out. Is the horizon empty? 
Rajiv said, There is a mound with glittering points on the horizon. On the horizon, a mound rises from the cracked, scarred earth. Points of light glitter from its surface. Do I recognize this structure? Diana said, yes. Very straight into the point. <laughs> I recognize the structure from my past years as a mercenary of the wastes. What is it? Rob said, you recognize the structure as a bar where you would go to get contracts and meet other mercenaries. It looks like it is being boarded up and patrons are running inside. I didn't realize I was so close to my old haunting grounds. The mercenaries of the tavern seem to be preparing for the coming storm or something else. Did I part the mercenaries on good terms or are they cause of concern for me? Michael said they're cause for extreme concern. Great. The Club of Blackthorns didn't like it when I tried to leave their company and there might be a mark on my head. If I try to give a wide berth, will the storm catch me? Michael said yes. Also great. Flora swears under their breath. My best bet is to rush past the tavern and hope they're too preoccupied with the storm to notice me. As I approach, is there any sign they've spotted my approach? Michael said, not yet. I'm confident I haven't been seen. They're preoccupied by something. Beneath my breath, I speak the name of Gotho, the Magus's spirit I keep burned in my mind. What glamour does Gotho bestow upon me to help me pass the tavern safely? Sid said, Gotho bestows upon you the guise of a weary, of a weary traveler, your face shadowed by a tattered traveler's cloak, and your body in the shape of an old man. You pass without notice, for now. Gotho guises me shadowed and old, just another ragged pilgrim. As I pass the tavern, he whispers curses in my ears. He shall never forgive me for binding him to my tongue, not for a hundred hundred generations. Though powerless, what threats does he profess? James said, the end of your lineage. My smile is sharp, if sad. Perhaps one day Gotho will see a day where he can find my, my ruin. But for now, I pass the Club of Black Thorns. The ruffians laugh at the old fool in the wastes as they board their doors and windows. The storm in my past is behind me, and the distance soon lies the city of goals and my future. Finn. So, uh, definitely a thanks to Jeeves, Rob, Steve, James, Michael, Sid, and me for playing with you. Yes. Um, I, I think we played for about three days online. Yeah. I think you could definitely, we definitely could have kept this game going and probably gotten Flores killed, but I, I thought that was a nice stopping point, yeah. right? I also think, um, like, it's... You were playing over three days, but you were playing over three days where you were very, very busy during the day. So it's not like you were playing continuously. You were playing in spurts and pauses yeah. throughout throughout three days. So this was, I, th I don't know, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's a lot of fun, and I would definitely try it again. I, I think one of the issues for it is, like, keeping up momentum. Right. When, you know, like, somebody doesn't answer a question for a day and then you get back to it and then you're like oh, okay I'm still doing this um, because it's so kind of off and on but uh, I don't know I like it it was cool and thank you again to everyone who played with me yeah is there anything else you want to say just that if you guys get a chance to check out PAX Unplugged because it comes around again I highly suggest it uh, you even, didn't go. I, but it doesn't you matter. You stayed at I home. I know, I know, but you were really excited about it. And there were some really cool things that came out of it. And we've had some really cool discussions. And other people that have gone have had really cool discussions. And I think it's, I definitely think it's worthwhile. And who knows? Maybe next year I'll go. I will probably force you to go next year. I mean, year. maybe. It, it was a lot of fun. And, and we did some really cool things and had a lot of, a lot of good time. So 
I will make you go next year probably. Okay. And and we'll I, be there and, and we'll I need have a full fun. year to prepare for it. Yeah. I need a full year to prepare for all of the people pushing me and being more excited about all the games and people that I'm talking to. When we went to PAX East and I talked to some game developer. You talked to Ben Lehman. And I didn't know who that was. I, I still know. don't know who that is. I like know. <laughs> I was so jealous. It's a problem. Like, like that's a problem. I'm sure some of you are going, Oh my god, what? I had no idea. I still have no idea. That will happen and I will feel bad. That was a big deal for me. It's I mean and it was very exciting. And it but it didn't happen to you, it happened to me after. That was another really cool thing that happened at PAX Unplugged was I got to talk to a lot of oh, yeah, really great right. game designers and stuff and that was cool. Anyway. Hopefully next year it'll be back and we'll all have a chance to go. Yeah, and um, we can all check it out. Yeah. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, we should have an episode next week. Uh, I also recently did an interview for uh, Narrative Drive, the uh, RPG podcast Narrative Drive, with Sid, who got a shout out in, or who actually played um, Sunderland with me. Uh, did an interview for Narrative Drive, which should be up uh, this week and that was a lot of fun that was very cool so I'm really looking forward to hearing that um, check out their podcast they are doing a Call of Cthulhu campaign and then they are going to be playing Numenera soon which is an awesome game that I have not yet gotten to the table but I'm really looking forward to hearing them play so very cool. uh, yeah so check out Narrative Drive uh, you can find us on Twitter at heartpointspod uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash heartpointspod. You can find our website at heartpoints.wordpress.com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on where you listen to your podcasts. Just find us. Yeah. Please. Like, rate, subscribe. Yeah. I think, I right? think that's more of a YouTube thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, subscribe and, and rate us. Uh, we appreciate you guys spreading the word about us and helping to other people to find us. And as always... Have a very, very nice day. But like a really nice day.